to Children's Church and before the text, just um, a special recognition right now for the new first graders going upstairs. That would be Koa Montoya, Bailey Johnson, and Gia Wilson. I don't know if there's, right? That's it. I think that's it. <laughs> um, yeah, graduating from nursery upstairs. And then um, graduating out of Children's Church entirely, um, I'd like to call up Naomi and Kathy Barnett and Pastor Bobby to give a little recognition there for Naomi. Well, this is kind of exciting to acknowledge Naomi because she's growing up and uh, moving out of fifth grade into sixth grade. And I'd just like to say a few things about her. And for those of you who know her, you know she has a very joyful heart and spirit. And she just makes everybody feel good around her. And it's been really a delight for all of us Children's Church is dismissed. <clears throat> if you're able, stand with me in honor of the word of God as I read Mark 14, verses 53 through 65. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together and Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest and he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. 
Welcome. I'm glad for each one of you here today. We are continuing our journey through the Gospel of Mark. So we've been in this journey. We're in chapter 14 now, towards the end of 14, and today we're looking at the trial of Jesus. They're putting Jesus on trial. Um, We're going to look at this trial that we read today, which is in front of the whole council. You read the, the Sanhedrin, the elders, uh, the chief priest himself. We're also going to look at them handing him over to Pilate and the next trial that goes on before Pilate. And we're also going to look at a couple of the points of that are intertwined with these two trials, which are the uh, Peter's denial, outright denial of Jesus that even knows him, and also the Roman soldiers who mock him after Pilate turns him over to be crucified. So the two trials we're going to look at are two main questions that come out of those trials. And out of the trial, one key thing that is central to the Gospel of Mark that we've been looking at through the whole Gospel of Mark is now coming to a head. And this is it. This is what Mark has been trying to say, and now it's coming to the head in these trials. And we want to look at those two questions, and then we want to break them down, and then we want to look at Peter's denial and the, the Roman, Roman soldiers mocking Jesus. You ready for that journey? <laughs> All right. One of the things I noticed is that no one speaks up for Jesus. I don't know if you noticed it in that, but it says all condemned him worthy of death. And in the other trial, it is the same way. No one speaks up for Jesus. And even in the midst of these stories, you see Peter uh, there. He doesn't speak up for Jesus. Uh, And you see out of all of the Roman soldiers that mock him, and it says that a battalion did this. They called the whole battalion in there. And uh, this battalion uh, is 600 soldiers. So they got all in the courtyard of the governor, Pontius Pilate, and they mocked him, and not one soldier spoke up for Jesus. So he is utterly in this trial um, alone. There's no one uh, sticking up for him, standing up for him, speaking up for him. So here he is. Uh, We look at this gospel of Mark, and the gospel of Mark, we're going to go all the way back to verse 1. Here's what it said. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's his opening statement, his opening theme, everything. He has been going through this whole journey as we've been studying Mark, showing that Jesus is the Christ. That means anointed. The anointed, to be anointed means king. He's showing that Jesus is the king. The other Hebrew word for that is the Messiah, the Mashiach, the anointed king of God. So he's been showing that. Is Jesus the king? From everything Mark has laid out so far, is Jesus the king, the Christ? Not only that, the son of God, this divine son of God. So Mark has been laying that out this whole time. And I ask the question, why so much of this gospel on the trial? We read these verses, 
then there's going to be intertwined with Peter being there and his denial while this trial is going on, then turning him over to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, all these verses of him being questioned, being trial on trial. And it's dramatic because most of us haven't been on trial for our life. I mean, his life is on the line. He's being brought in and tried knowingly that he... Uh, the conviction would mean death. So he's on trial for his life. I don't know if you've ever been before a judge, but it's kind of scary, you know, even if it's like a speeding ticket or something, you know, it's kind of like, you know, scary. But to be there uh, on trial for your life, nobody there, no one speaking up in your defense, and then being barraged with all of these false testimonies and all this happening, Mark is saying here in this trial is Jesus going to answer what I've been trying to write about all along and prove? Is Jesus the Christ, the Son of God? That opening statement that he made in Mark. Have I made my case? And he's making it through this trial. That's why there's so information in detail on this trial. And so in this trial, we see in Mark 14, 61, in our text that we read today, that Jesus remained silent and made no answer. So again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the blessed? And others say the blessed one. So they felt like they really couldn't enunciate the name of God. It was too holy. So instead of saying the Son of God, they he says, the son of the blessed, the blessed one, are you? He asked him point blank. Now, at this point, Mark has been showing all along that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. He's written his gospel to let everyone know who Jesus is. And now we have a Jesus rested and on trial for his life. And this is the question. This is the question that was asked by the high priest in front of all the other chief priests, the elders, the scribe, scribes, the whole council. It's in the middle of the night. They're at his house. All of this is uh, not standard procedure. It's illegal, actually, all the things they're doing in the darkness. Um, but the chief priests and the whole council are there, and they're seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But the testimonies aren't lining up. The testimonies aren't coming together. And even when they try to testify, it's very strict in Mosaic law that the two, there must be at least two witnesses, and those two witnesses, their testimonies must agree, but they can't even do that. They can't put together two uh, uh, testimonies that are the same. So Mark is pointing out in pretty great detail that uh, their trial is not going well. And the chief priest intervenes and just asks Jesus this direct question. He's frustrated. He's saying, why don't you talk? Why don't you have any answers? Why are you just standing here so silent and make no answer? And then he just asks that question. Because Jesus, it says in verse 61, remained silent and made no answer. And again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus had not directly answered the questions before. There were several situations that Mark brought up where they would ask Jesus a direct question before this, not on trial, but in different situations where something was happening. 
and Jesus wouldn't give them a direct answer. One time in Mark 11, Jesus had just rode into Jerusalem, announced and praised as king. It was a huge event in Jerusalem and in the temple. Everybody would have known about it. All of these people there would have known about it. Uh, Jesus was constantly healing people and sending them, go show yourself to the priest. Go to the temple. Go show. They, they had heard all this information was there. There's this huge gathering there. But in Mark 11, verse 28, they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? And what had happened is he had come into Jerusalem riding in the donkey, hailed as king, and then after that, the next day, he had come and cleansed the temple. Pretty dramatic event, turning over tables, driving out all the animals, and they, the, they're coming to him and questioning him, and they're saying, by what authority are you doing these things? They're seeking his identity. They're seeking, who are you? Why do you have the right to do these things? And in most cases, like in this place, Jesus answers their question with a question. And he says this to them there. He said, I'll ask you one question, answer me, and I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. That simple. I'm going to give you one question, you answer it, and I'll tell you. And in Mark 11, verse 29, after Jesus says that, he asked that question, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer that just simply, tell me, and I'll answer whose authority I do that. They can't answer it. They won't answer it because they're in a place to where if they answer from heaven, then he'll say, well, why didn't you believe him? Because they didn't. They rejected John's ministry. And if they say from man, they're afraid of the people. So Jesus knows this about them. And he knows they won't answer. They don't answer. So Jesus says, neither will I tell you. So he's avoided these questions. Now at this trial, all the head is leading up to this. They're seeking Jesus' death, and they had done that before, too. From Mark 3, they had sought his death. The Herodians teamed up uh, with the Pharisees, and they got together and said, let's put Jesus to death for this healing of the withered man's hand on the Sabbath. So they were plotting, trying, doing all these things all along, and now he's on trial. And the chief priest now, the head of all of their religious order, has asked him this question. And Jesus answers it directly. Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. So he finally speaks up. He hasn't said a thing. He's just been silent during all the testimonies. He hasn't tried to defend himself, done anything. But when asked this direct question, he finally answers it here in Mark 14, verse 62, on trial. I am, and he doesn't just say, yes, I am. He adds this. We want to look at it. I am and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Jesus is taking two biblical texts, Daniel 7.13 and Psalm 110.1. He could have chosen from a mini text in the Hebrew scriptures about who he was, who he was proclaiming to be, that he was the Christ, uh, the Messiah, the, the, the Son of the Blessed One, the Son of God. He could have used several scriptures, but he chooses these two. Psalm 110.1 was a psalm of David in which David says in the opening verse, the Lord 
says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now, Jesus had taught on this earlier, this verse. Uh, in we go back to Mark 12, verses 35 through 37. Jesus is teaching in the temple. And it says, uh, and Jesus taught in the temple and he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? He asked them a question. How can they say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, and he quotes Psalm 110.1. Jesus is teaching, and he says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself, Jesus commenting on the scripture, calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And it says, And the great throng heard him gladly. Some of the other Gospels break this down a little bit more. It's important to know, this scripture is quoted, I believe, more in the New Testament than any other verse, Psalm 110.1. So it's important to know what Jesus is trying to say here. He's trying to say, you guys need to think of the Messiah as more than just the son of David. He is, he is more than just a physical king on this earth who will sit on his throne. Like, how can David, if he's just David's son, call him Lord? How is he his Lord? How can he be that? And he's showing the, the thing that they did not understand, that the Christ, the Messiah, would be divine, that he would be the Son of God, that he would be not just an earthly uh, descendant of David, but that David himself could call him Lord, and that he would be this Lord sitting at the right hand with God until he puts all his enemies under his footstool, that that's who the Messiah would be. He would be divine. That's at... His right hand is equal in power, divine. The king would be that. Jesus is trying to get him to think the Messiah is more than you think. And here, that's the ultimate question. That's what's boiled down to this question. This is what the, the high priest comes with him at. Are you the Christ? Not just the Christ, but who you think the Christ is. The son of the blessed. You know, that one that sits at the right, that divine. You think you're God, you know, equal with God putting your enemies you know, under your footstool. Do you think that? This is what they're saying. They're getting what Jesus is saying when he says, I am and you will see the Son of Man. Now, the Son of Man was Jesus' favorite title about himself, and it's a reference to Daniel. That's who Daniel told about this mysterious figure who would be the Son of Man. And so Daniel 7, very specifically, verse 13, Jesus is quoting from, and verse 14, I'll read also. This is the word of the Lord from the prophet Daniel. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. This is that reference. Son of man, he will come on the clouds. What kind of clouds is he talking about? He's not talking about vaporous water clouds. He's talking about the Shekinah glory clouds coming in God's presence and clouds coming down with that authority of heaven. Daniel goes on to say, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one 
that shall not be destroyed. Jesus is saying, I am that son of man, and you will see me coming on the clouds from heaven. But he also says, seated at the right hand of God, that reference to Psalm 110. The high priest and all those there get it. They know the scriptures well enough, and they understand what Jesus is saying. Now notice the paradox here. Uh, Jesus is teaching that the Messiah is more than they expected. He is divine. He will be at God's right hand. He is the Son of Man from Daniel coming on the clouds of heaven. What are those two references about? Psalm 110 is about putting all of God's enemies under your foot, making all of your enemies subject to you, judgment coming upon all your enemies. The Son of Man would have that authority to judge And the Son of Man would come on the clouds of heaven in Daniel 7 and bring judgment. His authority would rule and reign forever. His kingdom would reign forever. Both of these scriptures are talking about judgment. And along with our study of Mark, the men's Bible study, we're reading Jesus the King by Tim Keller. And he says this uh, concerning these passages. Of all the things Jesus could have said, And there's so many texts, themes, images, metaphors, and passages in the Hebrew scriptures that he could have used to tell who was. He specifically says he is the judge. By his choice of text, Jesus is deliberately forcing us to see this paradox. There's been an enormous reversal. He is the judge over the entire world, and yet he is standing there being judged by the world. He should be in the judgment seat and we should be the ones in the dock and in chains before him. So when he answers, and as soon as Jesus claims to be this judge, as soon as he claims deity, as soon as he claims that before them, the response is explosive and the trial goes from being a trial into a riot. They break out. They start spitting on him. They blindfold him and hit him. They say in a mocking way, prophesy, like who hits you, hitting you, blindfolding you. It just goes berserk. The people just go berserk. The high priest himself tears his robe, which is one of the most uh, uh, you know, powerful things he can show of just utter dismay and horror and grief about this proclamation Jesus has made that he is. He is convicted there on the spot of blasphemy, and he is condemned worthy of death. All of you, what do you say? They all condemned him worthy of death. But they didn't have the power to pass the death sentence, and so they bring Jesus over to Pilate, the Roman governor who does have the authority to put Jesus to death. Now, the scriptures read this way as we shift into Jesus being delivered over to Pilate. Mark 15, 1 through 5 says, As soon as it was morning, the chief priest held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. So the night had passed, the morning had come, they get up, they have a whole Uh, consultation together. How are we going to do this when we bring him before Pilate? They have a consultation. Mark isn't specific on what they do, but we know what they discuss, that blasphemy, 
you know, that isn't going to fly for Pilate. They're discussing about Jesus' claim to be the king. So they know this would be a threat and uh, something that they could bring this charge against. Uh, we know that because they bound Jesus, led him away, delivered him over to Pilate, and the first question Pilate asked him is this, and this is the other question we're looking at today. The key of what Mark is trying to show all through the gospel is that Jesus is the king. He is the rightful king of the Jews, and Pilate asked him this, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priest accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. I mean, we read in, in John and the other Gospels where Pilate's going, Don't you know I have the authority here to kill you, you know? And he's like, You have no authority unless my father gets Jesus is not afraid of this man he's not afraid of death he's not afraid of the false testimonies he is silent he has answered their question and that is it that is it he has said yes to both he's saying you have said rightly i am the king of the jews i agree with you yes i am Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. Isaiah 53, 7 says this. This is the trial. This is one of the reasons the trial has to go on. It has to happen this way to fulfill Scripture. All Scripture must be fulfilled. And Isaiah 53, 7 said he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep, that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And this just amazed Pilate. He couldn't believe it. I mean, the high priest was the same way. Don't, don't you say anything? Can't you say anything to defend yourself? Nothing. He answered short, directly, their questions. Yes, I am, and, and no more. This is to fulfill Isaiah 53, 7. But Jesus is the king. And he is on trial before Pilate now, and he gives this direct, yes, I am the king of the Jews. So, he's claiming to be the king of the Jews, just therefore challenging Caesar's rule in the eyes of Rome, a capital crime. This is something he can be put to death for. Pilate knows this, but he also knows and sees, and the scripture brings out that he knows that he's been brought there out of envy, and he doesn't feel a threat by Jesus at all. So Pilate tries to let him go, and he brings up this policy of releasing one prisoner to them, and we have in our text following that the release of Barabbas and the crowd crying out to release Barabbas, and to what shall we do with the your king, your king of the Jews, Pilate says, and they yell out, crucify him, crucify him. And he's led off to be crucified, and there the soldiers, the texts go on to say, mock Jesus. He's flogged, 
and released to be crucified, flogged. The other word is scourged. Pilate had him flogged. This could kill you. The, the, the goal of the person doing the flogging or persons was to beat you within an inch of your life. But sometimes they went a little too far, the person was a little too weak, and they died. They didn't like that. They wanted you to be beaten professionally, right to where you were almost dying, wish you were dying, wish you were dead, but didn't. So then they could torture you some more and crucify you. So they did it well. They beat Jesus, flogged him. Mark doesn't go into any detail. He just said he was flogged, moves on in the text. And he focuses another five verses in Mark 15, 16 through 20, four or five verses there about these Roman soldiers. And it it says that they called the whole battalion in. And a battalion is 600 soldiers. And none of these soldiers, they, they all just join in on the mocking of Jesus. They put a purple robe on him. They do some more spitting, a lot of spitting on people. They... They hit him, they beat him, they bow down before him and pay homage to him and go, Hail, King of the Jews. They mock him. They're mocking him, beating him. Then they rip that robe back off of him, put his other clothes back on him, and he's led out to be crucified. Mark has spent a lot of time in his word. God is leading him by the power of the Holy Spirit to write quite a bit about Jesus's trial. Why? Why so much concentration on that? And it has to do with bringing to a head everything that Mark is trying to show, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. The two questions point out very plainly, are you the Christ, the Son of the blessed? Yes, I am, and you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, you have said so. I am. He has answered. This is confirmation under oath, under testimony, who Jesus is. Greg Gilbert, in his book, Who is Jesus?, spends a chapter on Jesus being the king. And in it, he says this, Jesus was a poor carpenter from a no-account rural town in northern Israel who eventually found himself at odds not only with the rulers of his own people, but with the dominating Roman authorities in the region. If nothing else, that alone tells us we're not dealing with a mere religious teacher, somebody who had a few nice proverbs to say about life, and how to live it. This is how some people see Jesus. We're also not dealing with merely a moral philosopher or ethical sage. This is who Jesus is, some think. No. What does the trial say? What does the trial and what led up from the trial say about who Jesus is? He's a threat. As Jesus hung Humiliated and dying on a Roman cross, the charge the Romans hung above his head in savage mockery of both him and the entire oppressed nation read what? This is Jesus, King of the Jews. 
This is what he was hung for. The story of Jesus is not the story of a good man. It is the story of a claimant to the throne. And that's what this trial brings out. Jesus made a claim to the throne. And when you make a claim to the throne in the history of kings and becoming kings, you either become the king or you get your head chopped off. It's one or the other. They don't just let you continue to exist. Jesus knows that he is making this claim to the throne. He knows he's answered, I am. He knows what he has said after, what that will mean. And he knows what he's answered to Pilate, what that will mean to Rome. And he's answered in the affirmative because it is the truth. That's the only other option there. It's either blasphemy or it is the truth. And they never considered that it was the truth, that Jesus was really who he said he was. Jesus is going to be a king on his own terms, not on the mistaken revolutionary terms of the people. They tried to make him king after he multiplied the food in one place. He's not going to be made king on their terms. Even when they, he rode into Jerusalem and they hailed him as king, and they shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, in Mark 11, 9 through 10. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. Now they're yelling, crucify him. You see, Jesus is becoming a king unlike any other king ever. He's fulfilling Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, that a lot of times we look at during the Advent season of Christmas time. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is how he will be king. And he will be no ordinary king. No ordinary king reigns from this time forth and forevermore. No ordinary king, even upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, would have a government that increased without end. No ordinary king is called mighty God. But Jesus is no ordinary king, and he's becoming king by no ordinary way. He's becoming king by way of the cross. He's becoming king by way of the cross. In Luke, we read about a thief on Jesus' side that actually saw Jesus coming into his kingdom. God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, gives him the, the revelation. Luke records in Luke 23, 42, he said to Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Wow. Here's just another man dying on the cross, but he speaks up for him. and He says, hey, we're getting what we deserve. Tells the other criminal, shut up. We're getting what we deserve. But then he announces and defends in the midst of no one defending Jesus at his trial. You have a thief on a cross defending Jesus and saying, he's done nothing wrong. Wow. He's innocent. 
And then he turns to Jesus and goes, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus is ascending to his throne by way of the cross and through his death. He is becoming the king of the world, the king over heaven. And he's subduing every enemy under his feet. And the big enemy is for us, the enemy of sin that corrupts and leads us into death. The scriptures tell us that the wages of sin is death. And Jesus is bearing that death for us. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, his son. Jesus has made that available to us. So I say, what say you today? Who is Jesus? Is he the I am? Is he the Christ, the Mashiach, the son of the living God? Is he divine? Is he God? Is he seated at the right hand of God? Is he ruling with power from heaven at the right hand of God, equal with God, the son of God, and yet God? Is this the Jesus that you worship? Because Jesus is saying on trial today before us in the witness of God's word, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of God, coming on the Shekinah glory clouds from heaven. This is the Jesus we're here to follow. This is the Jesus we're here to worship. One of the things Billy Graham said and he used, he said, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Would there be enough to show if you were on trial and somebody brought you on trial, yeah, this person is a Christian, and here's the evidence we have that he's a Christian. Would there be enough in your life, in your faith walk with him to reveal that you are a follower of Jesus? There's hope for us because you have Peter who denied Jesus and he denied him interwoven in this story. Our application today is to look at Peter. It's to look at him and see in the midst of this, it says in that opening verse where they're leading Jesus into the Sanhedrin and for the whole council, it says, and Jesus followed him at a distance. And many people want to follow Jesus at a distance. That's a bad place to be. Jesus, you want to follow him right up next to him like John did when he broke the bread and he snuggled up against his breast right here. This is where you want to follow Jesus from. Not at a distance, but up close. But many follow at a distance. Try to warm ourselves by other fires other than the fire of the Holy Spirit, the fire of Jesus. And we might just be outright vehemently uh, mockers of Jesus, like the Roman soldiers beating, mocking, tormenting Jesus, not believing in complete rebellion, and yet there's hope because in Mark there's a Roman centurion that announces after Jesus dies, truly this was the Son of God. Salvation comes to a Roman centurion, and if it can come to a Roman centurion, and if Peter can break down and weep after he hears the rooster crow and he remembers the words of Jesus, and he repents, there's repentance for us, there's repentance for you, and there's repentance for I. Can you say amen? Amen. As we come to take communion at the Lord's table, if you're here and you're visiting, you're welcome to join us as we remember the Lord's death until he comes. Today we've remembered his trial, him standing alone, Psalm 22:11 said, 
in the day of trouble, I was alone without anyone there with me. Jesus stood alone for us. He stood rejected, as Isaiah 53 said, despised and forsaken of men, and we esteemed him not. Fulfilling those prophecies of Isaiah 53, he was the suffering servant, and Jesus died, and we remember his death, we remember his body and his blood as we come together as a church family, and we remember it until he returns on those Shekinah clouds of glory seated at the right hand of the Father. We praise you and we thank you, God. Let us all come and receive the cup and the bread. The bread is underneath the cup, so if you take one, the piece of bread is one. Come, hold your cups, and we'll pray and take the communion together after you return to your seat. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he gave thanks for it. And he said, this is my body. Take and eat. Let us partake of the bread together. Thank you for this bread that represents your body, Jesus. Gracious loving heavenly father thank you for the gift of your son we truly lift up thanksgiving to you father for the gift of jesus the christ your one and only begotten son and we praise you for him and we give you thanks jesus for you come and offering your body up for us unworthy sinners that you gave your life for us that we might live and we praise you and give you thanks in your name. Amen. In like manner, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood given for you for the remission of sins. Do this and remember my death until I come. Let us partake of the cup together.
gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your son. You called him to shed his blood upon that tree, that cross, to redeem and adopt many sons and daughters into your kingdom. And we're grateful. We're so grateful for your son Jesus and all he has done for us to reconcile us to you, God. Out of your wrath against sin and into peace with you, God, that we can have a relationship with you and the veil is torn and we can come back in and into your presence. Help each person here, God, I ask, to enjoy your presence, God, and to be with you and be near you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us sing and worship Jesus.
Spirit, and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. You're dismissed. Love one another. <laughs>